are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt. We are coming to you on October 19th of 2021. We've had a... Uh, Postseason baseball is in full swing. We're moving on to the uh, to the championship series. We had a wild game five in the NLCS uh, between the Dodgers and the Giants, and um, we've had some pretty interesting games so far through the the three of the N- the NLCS that we've had. Um, and game three is currently going on as we're recording this um, in the ALCS. But before we jump into everything going on, let's bring in Matt and see how to, how's your uh, last week been. It's been good. Uh, just hanging out. Um doing uh doing normal things and um so i mean not too much to complain about right now it's been a fun week yeah it has been there's a i mean i've been getting so much crap for this uh you know the way game five ended and then you know what's been happening so far in this uh in this nlcs but you know overall it was a good week there was some exciting exciting games of baseball some exciting football games going on even this weekend um it's a good time to be a sports fan. I mean, as we're recording this, the night the NBA is kicking back off as well. If you're a basketball fan, so it's a uh, kind of everything's happening all at once. So it's pretty fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, with football and college football in full swing, watch my Auburn Tigers win on Saturday, big win, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So it really has been. Well, let's start off um, looking at the game five that we had between the Dodgers and Giants, um, and then we'll jump over to the to the ALCS. Um, between the Astros and the Red Sox, but that game five was, it was one of the most anticipated games of the year. It was the two best teams from baseball this year going head to head. Both of them going into the game had 109 wins on the season um, combined through the, uh, through the regular season and the postseason. And I mean, it would pretty much lived up to everything you could have hoped for from it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, very low scoring game. You saw uh, Logan Webb has one of those pitchers that kind of came out of nowhere this year. And we've talked about him a pretty good bit over the uh, over this, uh, the course of the season. But I mean, he I mean, in the postseason was incredible. Um, he, he's a little bit to, to me, a little bit reminiscent of Kluber in the postseason when Corey Kluber was just he was a robot. And the people called him the clue bot and, and it, it kind of Logan Webb reminds me a little bit of that when it comes to his postseason pitching and, and also kind of the way he came up as somebody who, you know, I mean, Corey Kluber was fairly well heralded. He was a top 30 prospect, but he wasn't like a, you know, like a top 10 in baseball prospect or anything like that. Logan Webb's kind of the same way. You know, a lot of people liked his command. Uh, they didn't especially believe in the fastball. He, he found a couple ticks on it. And, and sometimes when you just locate pitches extremely well, you know, it, it works out. So, um, so Logan Webb pitched a great game. The Dodgers went with the bullpen game in which uh, Julio Urias was kind of their bulk guy. And, uh, I mean, it went very well for them. Uh, they were able to – one of the things the Giants did all year was get that platoon advantage. Uh, and, uh, you know, going with the bullpen game, it's more difficult to get that platoon advantage. And what ended up happening was, you know, there were a couple times where they were able to, to get that mid-game, but there were a lot of at-bats they couldn't get that platoon advantage whereas if the, if the Giants had gone with a traditional starter and Urias then you know they probably would have been able to load up their lineup with those right-handed hit bats like Darren Ruff and um and and all those guys you know for for to face lefty but what ended up happening was they kind of called the bluff of them and it turns out that those lefty or those lefty killer bats they have ended up having to face the right-handed relievers of the Dodgers early in the game, which kind of got him behind the eight ball a little bit. So it's very interesting strategy the Dodgers used. Um, of course, Urias did end up coming into the game. Um, and then, uh, you know, later in the game, it was you know, very low scoring. Both teams pitched extremely well. Yeah, and so the, the scoring really kicked off in the sixth, and that's when the Dodgers first got on with Seager doubling Mookie Betts home. Um, at the top of the sixth, and then right in the bottom of the sixth, um, like you said, Urias was in, and Ruff was in the lineup actually. Um, you know, supposed to be in there for to face Urias, and they put him in the lineup before, and he had already driven um, two to the warning track in this game, and then Urias just left a left a curveball right over the middle, and Ruff. It was one of the farthest home runs I've actually seen hit to center field in San Francisco. I think it went like four sixty or something. It was like a moonshot. Um, and that basically tied it right up back in the sixth. And then it went all the way down until the ninth inning where 
Um, I believe the Dodgers got a couple walks in and then they brought, or it was a hit maybe against Tyler Rogers and then a walk. Um, then they brought in their closer, which is Camilo Duvall to face Cody Bellinger. And the big thing for Duvall is he's been a, a, a he has a hundred mile an hour fastball and he uses that a lot against Bellinger. He went like five or six straight sliders. And on the sixth one, Bellinger was able to pull it, um, into the right center field gap and, and bring home, uh, I forgot who it was, but anyways, bringing home the go ahead run to two to one. And then like you even mentioned, um, on the last episode and I even kind of, I kind of shut you down like, Oh, I don't think they're going to do that. Like they'll just save him. They brought in Scherzer in the ninth inning to close it out. They, they had used Trinan in the seventh Jansen in the eighth, and then they used Scherzer in the ninth to close it out. And then, um, you know, the game ended on a, a very controversial check swing that really wasn't he, the guy did not swing and Wilmer Flores um, and the umpire called it, you know, really early. There's been different angles where it's looked closer than what the TV actually showed at the beginning, but it absolutely was not a swing. Um, and it, there's was a lot of controversy from that move from that call, I should say. Yeah. It's unfortunate that a, uh, you know, a 107 win season ends on that call like that. That's just, that's so unfortunate. I mean, now were they going to be able to score? Who knows? Probably not, but you never know. And that's kind of the thing about baseball. You know, you kind of ruin that game with the umpires getting involved. But, yeah. uh, you know, for one thing, I mean, check swing calls are so difficult. I mean, they really are because it's you're, you're you know, your umpires is 90 feet away or more than 90 feet away, really. And trying to see down the line. And I mean, it's such a quick, you know, these bats are so quick and. I mean, it's really tough to see. It's, it's it's honestly easier to see on TV and and but you know in in real time. But then when they slow it down, even I mean, you know, some of these are so close and you know in slow mo, it's easy to see. But you know, I give I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on the fact that that's such a tough call. But you cannot end the game on that. It's just you know you got to have their best umpires out there in in you know winner take all games like that. And obviously, you know, it ended on a on a mistake, but. Um, I mean, it, it's one of those things, you know, if you're the Giants, I mean, you know, you got yourself in a situation where you were trailing with, you know, down to your last strike. So, you know, if you don't want the umpires to be involved, then do something different earlier in the game. And the same thing for, you know, different different scenarios where, the, you know, people complain about the umpires this, this offseason or this postseason. So, um, you know, not that I wish they – not that I don't wish they would improve it because, you know, I wish they would, but – I mean, at the same time, that's kind of the way it is right now. So you kind of got to complain about the umpires isn't going to do all that much when it comes to this year. Yeah, and like you said, you hate that a game of this magnitude, which was an amazing game just as a baseball fan, it didn't have all the runs scored, but you could tell it was the playoff atmosphere. Like you could tell San Francisco was rocking. I mean, they were in, in every involved in every pitch pretty much. Um, but a couple things, for one, the umpire at first base, he came out like, almost immediately after the game and was once he saw the replay and he admitted full heartedly that he made a mistake. That is very rare that umpires will say, Hey, I messed up here. And, and that shouldn't have been the call. He, he fully admitted it. He went into the giants clubhouse as soon as he saw the replay and went and apologized to the team directly. Um, so good on, for, on Gabe Morales, the umpire for, for admitting he was wrong and going there. And then also on, on a bunch of the Giants players and Gabe Kapler, they could have easily come out and said, you know, it's a BS call and nothing should happen, like all this stuff. And they all pretty much just said like, hey, we shouldn't have been in that situation to begin with. Like we had them up or we were up to one. All we had to do was win one game. We didn't get that done. And we put ourselves, like you said, in that situation in a game five, you know, late in the game that we had to, you know, we relied on the umpires and we didn't get the job done ourselves. Um, and that's not something that you would really see many teams or many organizations do, especially after a game against their biggest rivals ended in that scenario and ended their season where they were the best team in the game. Yeah, I mean, you know, at, the, at a certain point, it's like, what are you going to do? I mean, the season's over, whether you complain about it or not. So, you know, sometimes taking the high road will get you. It'll it'll get you. It'll have you'll have better relationships with umpires in the future. You'll have, I mean, you know, regardless of how much how satisfying it could be to just come out and trash the guy. I mean, it, he obviously made a mistake and he knows it. He probably feels horrible about it. I mean, so um, you know that's that's unfortunate. But of course, that um, uh, was a crappy way to end such a great game and and a great season from the Giants. But um, you know, at the same time, I mean, um, I mean, it's pretty likely that 
that wasn't the determining factor in the game anyway. So, I mean, I, you never know, like I say, but, um, you know, that that's definitely, that's definitely the kind of the way I took it was that the, the giants, you know, there's, they have reasons to be upset about that, but, and I, of course, as a, you know, if it happened to my team, I would be furious too, but, um, you know, at the same time, it's like, well, you know, they didn't get it done the rest of the game. They had a, they had the Dodgers in a bullpen game, and they only scored what one run off of them. So yep. two runs, I think it was two runs. One because it ended it two one. one. Yeah. So I mean, if you're in that situation, you just gotta figure out how to, you know, how to win that game. And uh, but um, but you know, uh, moving on, um, you know, the the Dodgers advance to the NLCS, and uh, you know, that's been a great series so far and uh right now the uh, astros and the red sox are also playing in the american league championship series so um looking at games one two and three of course game four is currently ongoing in the alcs but looking at games one two and three uh what's your thoughts on this series so far yeah the the alcs has been has been absolutely insane you know you saw um houston come out in the first game and, and battle back and get that win uh, five to four and then game two it was it was pretty much over you know from the start pretty much i think it was in the first inning boston hit two grand slams or maybe it was one in the first one yeah, in the second one in the first and one in the second i think yeah one of the first one in the second um then went up eight nothing right away and then they even scored in the, the fit or the fourth inning to make it nine nothing and the game kind of felt like out of reach houston did come back and get three in the bottom of the fourth um to make it nine to three but it just felt like that was a, a you know a boston win that took really that houston crowd right out of it um tied up that series which is big for them to head back to boston with a tied series and uh you know have a chance to clinch at home if they were to sweep um the astros once they got did get back to boston and then game three was just another one of those where boston just came out and it's really a carbon copy, except the yeah. second one wasn't a grand slam. It was just a three-run homer. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they scored, or a two-run homer or something. They scored six in the second, Boston did. They scored another three in the third and made it you know, 9 nothing again. And then Houston came back in the top of the fourth, got another three, make it 9-3. And then Boston just came back and tacked two on in the sixth and one on the eighth to, to win 12-3. to And it's just really that the, the Boston bats have showed up. You know, We said that was going to be the thing, which team was going to be able to hit the pitching of the other team better. Um, and it's big for Houston to have lost Lance McCullers to where he's yes. not on this roster. I don't think he was actually technically out when we uh, recorded the episode no, before. He, yeah. He, with the forearm strain, he's not, he's not on the roster and that has been a huge deal of the series right now. Yeah. I mean, he was our player of the series for Houston against the white Sox, um, and for him to not be on the roster. And if they make the world series, potentially not even be on that roster, it's been massive for them. You know, they've had to re- like Zach Grinky to started the game today, which was his first start in a month um, for Houston. And that didn't go particularly well right away either. Um, so they're pretty much every game's kind of like a bullpen game for Houston right now. Um, and that's kind of where it's just allowing, you know, we talked about in the last episode where if you do those bullpen games enough, the odds are that once you swing that door open one too many times, that guy's just not going to have it. And in the postseason, that's just really hard to come back from. So it'll yeah, be interesting. Then I, I don't know. What is the score of game four? It, it's right currently now? two to one in the okay. bottom. They're going to the top of the, I think the top of the sixth might be the top of the fifth, but um, you know, the, the Red sixth. Sox, the top of the sixth. So the Red Sox just had a, had a run around and uh, struck out uh, swinging. Christian Javier is doing his best job keeping the Astros in this series right now. And, you know, they really need to win tonight. You don't want to go down three to one. It's not insurmountable, but it's, that's really difficult. So, uh, but looking forward at this series um, or looking back at, you know, those first three games, I think the biggest, like, like you said, the biggest thing to me has been the fact that, you know, with Houston's pitching injuries and, and lack of, um, you know, lack of consistency there in the starting rotation, they're really having to throw a ton of guys. And I think Houston does have a little bit better offenses as in it's a little bit deeper. Um, you know, I really, I think that a lot of times the postseason, you need to have one or two good horses to, to, to rely on two good starters, regardless of whether you pitch them out of the bullpen or pitch them out of the, as a, as a starter, you got to have a couple guys who really can, can put them, 
put on some bulk innings and you look at, you know, even if you're, you, you look back in the past and I mean, you look at Lance McCullers as that guy, he's been there, done that. Um, back in, you know, 2017, he pitched out of the bullpen a lot in the postseason, even though he was a starter, but he would pitch in three or four innings out of the bullpen and, you know, closed out games. Uh, you look at uh, last year for the Dodgers, Julio Arias did that. Th- did that? He he pitched three four innings out of the bullpen, closing out games last year, and you know that's really important to have those starters you can rely on, re- whether you're starting them traditionally or coming out of the bullpen as bulk guys. And uh, that's something where you look at the um, you know the, the 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 Astros, and they really just don't have too many of those guys. They got a good back end of the bullpen. The closing situation is good. They've got a couple other nice relievers that can come in at the back end, but you know, with, with different pitching injuries and stuff they've had, like Valdez has, has not had a healthy season. Uh, McCullers obviously is out, you know, Granky's been in and out of the, in and out of the game for the last month or two. I mean, they, they just don't have those starters right now. And, um, you know, that's really struggling while, while, you know, the Red Sox do have, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez is still there. You know, they've got, Nate Valdi is very good. I mean, those guys can come in, get you six innings, even if they do give up two or three runs, you know, that they'll give the, the, the Red Sox offense a chance. And, and then, you know, they don't expose that, you know, lower end part of their bullpen. So that's just something to look at with, um, with the way that this series has gone. It's really a struggle. I mean, the Astros starting pitching, I think in every game, except maybe game one, I think, I think in every game has lasted like two innings at the most. So, I mean, it's going to be hard to win that way in the postseason. Yeah, and uh, you got to give credit to to Boston for not only are they hitting well, but they're also able to keep guys like Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, and Alex Bregman from really doing much this series at all. I mean, Altuve has an 083 batting average and a 143 on base. You look at Brantley and Bregman, they both have a 167 batting average and 167 on base. So they haven't walked at all, and Altuve only has one walk. Um you know, those are three guys who Houston relies on quite a bit to be very big um, playmakers for their offense. You know, Jordan Alvarez has had a, a nice series. Correa's had a good series, and Tucker's had a good series. But if yeah. you can't have that middle of those, the middle of that lineup, you know, if you have one guy at the top, one guy here, one guy there that's doing something while the other guys in the middle aren't really doing anything, it, it really allows, you know, Boston to if they get those bats rolling, they feel pretty confident about being able to keep these other guys down and, and they've done a great job with that so far. So if they can keep that up, it's definitely a recipe for success for them. Yeah. And I think that the story of the, of the series, you know, as you said, I, I agree a hundred percent. And then, you know, they just pulled up the stat, you know, I was talking about the Astro starters. They pitched four innings in the series. This is game four and they've given up 12 earned runs in those four innings. So, you know, they're averaging one inning per start and they've given up 12 runs. So, that's kind of and and along those lines i mean the it's not like the astros haven't hit at all i mean they they hit scored like what six seven runs in game one they won the game you know game two i think they came back and scored five or six runs and then game three they scored three or four runs so it's not like they're set the world on fire compared to what the red sox are doing but you know it's not the the hitting you know their bats haven't really been the problem even without their top three guys producing just the fact that you know they're getting absolutely clobbered by Kike Hernandez and Kyle Schwarber and Rafael Devers and JD Martinez and Xander Bogarts. I mean, that lineup is just so deep and it's kind of hard to believe that we didn't see that coming, coming into the season with the names that they had in that lineup. Yeah, it really has been. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of us didn't even think Boston was going to be in there, um, you know, early on coming into this season, but credit for them for real, like, Kike has been a big part for them for this postseason run. You know, Devers has stepped up, like you said, Bogarts. But even a guy like Christian Arroyo, he doesn't have a high on base, but he's still batting two seventy three in this series, and he's had a, a decent postseason so far. Um, they just kind of have found a couple of those under uh, the radar guys um, that they kind of always seem. You know, it used to be Brock Holt for many years with them. It used to be a guy who no matter in the big situation would always just find some way to get a hit or whatever. So Boston has a some way of being able to find these kind of under the radar guys that produce when the, the lights are the biggest. Yeah, they, they do. And it's reminiscent of a lot of teams that have built, you know, really nice stretches like, like the, like the Red Sox have at times. And, you know, really like the Astros have done the last several years. Um, it's very reminiscent of, 
of some of those teams. I mean, you look at, you know, even the Dodgers with some of the guys that they've had come up big and that weren't really, that were kind of under, under heralded guys like, like Max Muncie and Justin Turner, you know, it's kind of that type of thing, but the Red Sox are doing it maybe not quite to the same extent, but you know, in in a similar way. So, um, but it's been an interesting series uh, going forward in it. You know, obviously a lot depends on what happened. The outcome of tonight's game is, you know, if the Red Sox go up three to one, I think, I don't think the Astros are going to be able to pitch consistently enough to, to hit their way out of this mess being down three to one in the, in the, you know, in the series, if they tie it, you know, all bets are off the game. The series will for sure go back to Houston. Um, you know, we'll see, but, um, and then if you look at the other, the, you know, the other side uh, of things, um, you know, if you're, if you're Boston, you know, don't let, don't let them believe a little bit, you know, get that win tonight, you know, force them to come out and pitch, you know, whoever has to pitch tomorrow, I would assume it'd be, I'm not sure who it would even be. I mean, because it would be a McCuller spot in the rotation up again, and nobody's nobody's in that spot right now. So, game five would be you know the, your game one starter. So, um, I think did Luis Garcia start game one? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it will be Garcia again. So, you know, we'll see, or Val, for maybe Framber Valdez or somebody. But, um, yeah, it, it'll be difficult for that to be the, you know, for you to come back in the series down three, one with the situation they're pitching is in. But if you win tonight, you know, it's, it obviously it goes back to Houston. That's a tough place to play. Um, especially, you know, with the fans there this year. And, uh, I mean, you know, you never know what might happen, especially, I mean, it's, it's not like the Red Sox pitching staff is some kind of like juggernaut anyway. So, um, you know, we'll see what might happen, but, um, Definitely an interesting series so far out in the American League. Yeah, well, let's jump over to uh, to the National League and talk about what's going on in that one because all three games that have happened so far have been, I mean, I know we're going to be kind of a little biased here because we're Dodgers and Braves fans, um, and this is the matchup, but I think they've been cl- instant classic games. Oh, my I mean, gosh. All three of them. Um, you know, game one was a game that you, you were going to have – Scherzer, Max Scherzer was supposed to start, um, but then once he closed out the game five, um, he pretty much said that his arm wasn't feeling right and didn't pitch game one. So the Dodgers ended up going with a bullpen game against Max Freed, um, gave up a run right in the first. The Dodgers came back right in the second and got that run back. And then on in the fourth inning, I think it was Will Smith hit a homer. Yep. Um, off Freed to give them the two one lead, and then right in the bottom of the fourth, Austin Riley came back up and hit a mammoth homer. Uh, I mean, it's one of the farthest homers that I had saw. Like I knew as soon as it went off the bat, I was like, "That is long gone." I, didn't it go second deck or something? No, I think it was. I think it, it was a line shot, and it was like four thirty or four twenty yeah. or something. Yeah, I mean, he on hit it line. on a line, but it was like a hundred and twelve mile an hour off the bat. I mean, he crushed it. So. Yeah, and then they uh, they went to it. Pretty much stayed two two all the way until the ninth inning, until um, Austin Riley came up and walked that game off. Yeah, it was a that was obviously a great game. Um, you know, you had a, a pitching matchup where Max Freed he pitched pretty well. He really didn't have his best stuff. Um, you know, he he's been. I don't. People haven't really talked about him as much this year. This because because of his start, but his second half has been incredible to the season. And, um, you know, you look at what he's done and, and in his postseason career, he's been incredible as well. So, you know, he pitched six innings of two run ball. The Braves really the only team in the LCS that have been going with a traditional, you know, starter um, type thing. So uh, Max Freed pitched that well. And then the Braves bullpen in games one and two. Uh, we'll get to game two in a minute, but the Braves bullpen pitching in game one, you know, they've been using the same three guys every single night in the postseason. In the division series, they use the same guys. And in the uh, in the um, in the championship series, they've used the same guys. And it's been Tyler Matzik, Luke Jackson and Will Smith. And, um, you know, Will Smith came in and was a little shaky, but he was able to get the, the you know, to get the, the out on a Chris Taylor uh, base running mistake. That was kind of a bad base running mistake. He rounded second on a Bellinger single and kind of froze and. Jock Peterson threw behind him and, and tagged and they got him in a rundown with two outs. So uh, then the Braves, at the bottom of the inning um, come up and I believe they were facing Trinan and yeah. they got a 
a single or yeah, they were facing trying and they got a hit from, um, I don't remember who got the, I think Albie, Albie's got a bloop hit, stole second. And then Riley, you know, singled into the left field corner to win the game. Then game two was really similar. Uh, you had a Corey Seager home run in the first inning, a two run homer, uh, put the Dodgers up. The Braves came back in the fourth with a Jock, Jock Peterson hit a, the longest home run of the postseason so far, 454 feet. A tank. Um, yeah, it was. It was above the – hit over the Chop House in Atlanta, which is the little restaurant in right field, and it hit it up on the roof of it. And I, I don't think I've ever seen somebody hit a ball that that far in that area of the ballpark. It's It seems like most of the time it ends up, you know, getting into the Chop House or, or into the – into the uh, you know into the seats up there for whatever reason, but he hit one over the chop house, which is pretty crazy. And then um, then you had um, you know the game kind of kept going back and forth a little bit. The Dodgers picked up a couple runs, and then probably the most uh, controversial decision of the postseason so far from a manager. You had uh, Dave Roberts had Bruce Dargaderall. Blake Trinan and Kenley Jansen in his bullpen. And he decided to go with Julio Arias coming out of the bullpen after he had pitched, you know, several innings in game or not several, but I think he pitched what four innings in game five of the NLDS. Yeah, it was something, I think so, it was three and three and a third three, or four three and a third, three and a third or four. And then he came in and he threw, um, he, they brought him in to throw an inning it late in the game with a two run lead in game two on two days rest and he, his stuff looked okay, but he couldn't locate it. And he hung a couple curveballs, and, um, it did not go well for them that you had a hit from, uh, Eddie Rosario, then a hit from Austin, from, uh, Ozzy Albies. And then you had, um, you know, the, the biggest, the biggest piece of, you know, the biggest hit of the game and Austin Riley hit a, absolute bullet off the left center field wall that, that brought in Albies with some really aggressive base running too, um, to take the, to tie the game. And then in the bottom of the ninth, um, they had Grotterall in, you got a hit from, um, you had a hit from, I think Dansby Swanson got a hit. And then with two, with, with two outs, Eddie Rosario lined a single up the middle that hit off a of Seager's glove and went into center field. The Braves ended up winning the game. So um, very crazy games, both on walk-off wins for the Braves. Um, they they kind of, you know, game one, you kind of, the Braves kind of knew they had to win game one because of the pitching matchup. Game two, I think most people were expecting the Dodgers to win, but uh, kind of the story of game two was that Max Scherzer, especially after the post game, Max Scherzer really struggled going deep into that game because of his, you know, because of fatigue. So uh, we'll see what happens there later in the series. Yeah, and actually, I think that ninth inning was off Jansen. Um, yeah, he had the Gratterall game. came in and got the you know faced a few guys, and then they put in Jansen um, yeah. with two outs. So yeah, I think and the way they had Seager up the middle, I think the ball was kind of like blocked by Jansen for a lot it of the was. way, and then it kind of like threw Seager because it was so yeah, fast was, and at that. But yeah, I didn't mean to sound like it was fully on Seager. I no. mean, I think a really good shortstop probably makes that play, yeah. but. Um, I mean, it was an absolute laser too. It was like a 107 off the bat, and it was a liner. So yeah, it was it was a really, really tough play. Um, yeah. You know, put the Braves up 2-0, then heading to Los Angeles. Uh, I think it was actually it was really vital for the Braves to get that 2-0 lead because yep. then they put the pre- all the pressure on the Dodgers going into Los Angeles. If all they have to do, I mean, no matter what, if the Dodgers wanted to win this series, now the Braves forced it to get back to Atlanta. Yeah. Where they where they would have to win a game in Atlanta now to win the series, but it put all of the pressure on the Dodgers because I mean, what do the Braves have to lose at this point? You go up, you know, you go up to three, you know, three nothing if you you're able to win game three tonight or that happened today, or you go down two one, but you've basically faced Scherzer and Bueller. If you're down two one, you got Urias, and then you know a bullpen game coming for game five, and you've already won against a bullpen game already. Um, so game five started off pretty much as, uh, as game four or game two did. It was a pretty much identical thing. Mookie gets on right away. Uh, Corey Seager hits a two run homer and then Charlie Morton kind of was like laboring through it. He, Man, he, looked he awful. yeah, he Dinner. couldn't, he couldn't locate his curveball was really rough. Um, but he held it to only two, two runs. 
Um, you know, and I think it was at one point it was like through three innings, he had like six walks or yep. four walks or something. And like, it was just awful, but he was able to, to keep the Dodgers to two runs. And then I believe it was in the fourth inning is when they really started getting to Bueller. I was at work during this, so I was trying to watch it, but, um, listen at the same time and then driving home. Um, but I know in it, I think it was in the fourth when they came back, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. So what happened was in the fourth, you had a leadoff double from Austin Riley that he hit, uh, you know, it's a well hit ball, but it, it was misplayed by Lux. It was ruled a double, but it probably could have been an error. He didn't really play it right in center field. Of course, Gavin Lux, I think this was like his 11th game ever in the big leagues in center field. So yeah. um, he really hadn't, he's really kind of raw out there. He's got the athleticism to do it, but he's, he's still learning. And it was just kind of one of those plays where he was kind of close to the wall and he was trying to look for the wall and stuff. And he just kind of misplayed it. And then uh, the wheels kind of fell out for the, um, for, for Walker Bueller, he ended up, you know, against Jock Peterson had a, um, you know, Jock Peterson ended up singling in the, the first run. Uh, I think Albies was actually aboard before the, before the uh, Riley double. So they were second and third and then Jock Peterson singled in a run. And then you had, uh, then the wheels just kind of fell off. He ended up walk, start to walk guys um, struggle with command. Um, you ended up getting a single from Duvall that tied the game. Uh, I think Dansby Swanson got, had the go-ahead hit with a single. Um, and then, you know, Walker Bueller walked uh, with two outs after Morton hit for himself. He walked Eddie Rosario with the bases loaded to make it a 4-2 to lead for Atlanta. So uh, it was really not a good outing for Walker Bueller. He, his stuff from the beginning just didn't look that great. The Braves had, a, had you know, two hits in the first inning that, you know, they kind of laid Ozzy Albies came up as the third guy and lined out to center. And for whatever reason, Rosario was off the bag and got doubled up. And after that, I mean, it, you know, Walker Bueller's stuff just didn't look, I mean, it didn't, he didn't look sharp the whole game. Um, and then the walks really started to come back to bite him there in the, there in the fourth inning. And uh, then the game, uh, you know, kind of went to a stalemate for a while, both teams. I think the Braves picked up a run in the next inning, but, um, then late in the game, Cody Bellinger came up with two guys own on a couple of, you know, hits that got through. One was a, a little, uh, you know, broken bat single down the right field line. And then the other one was a ball that Will Smith hit up the middle and, um, you know, it probably should have been a double play ball. It was, it was kind of a, you know, it was a pretty well hit grounder, but it got through, um, the Braves weren't positioned, you know, to, to make that play. And then, um, Cody Bellinger hit a ball about six inches to a foot above the strike zone for a, for a three run Homer to tie it. And then the wheels fell off for the, for the Braves and Luke Jackson in the eighth inning. Yeah. And, and the, it would, that Homer for Bellinger was really big because he had been a guy who had you know, obviously struggled all year long, but his main kryptonite that he had dealt with this year was fastballs like 94 and above high in the zone. Um, and that was a 96 mile an hour fastball. Like you said, about six to six to eight inches above the plate. It was kind of like at his neck. Um, you know, if he's standing up straight, like he does, it was basically at his neck and for him to basically get on top of that ball and be able to drive it. I think it was like 400 feet. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's a good sign for Cody Bellinger after he'd been with all the swing changes this year, he's looked more comfortable at the plate, but the one thing that you just hadn't seen yet was the power. He hadn't been able to show that he has that power still. Um, and for him to be able to finally locate on that pitch and, and be able to, you know, not only catch up to it and make contact, which he hasn't done all year long, but to still have that power behind it. Um, you know, fastball up is, is still probably one of the easier pitches to hit out because he, it, it's already high and you're able yeah. to get under it. But for him, at least that was a, you know, it, maybe it's a sign of he's starting to break out back into, you know, what normal Cody Bellinger would be like. Yeah, it, it might be. The, the one thing about that was that the pitch before it was the same pitch and he was way late on it and it really wasn't a good pitch. It probably should have been hit for the home run, the pitch before it. It was like a fastball. It was slightly, it was, it was in the zone, but it was, you know, it was, it was probably at the letters. You know, and he just was way late on it. I think he just said, okay, I was late on that. You know, they know this is the pitch I struggle with. And he just completely sold out on it. And the Braves just threw him another one. And, um, you know, that was that was difficult. Honestly, Luke Jackson, every pitch he threw in that sequence was really not that bad. I mean, he that the hits that he gave up were – both all three of the hits he gave up were out of the zone. 
So it was really an interesting, you know, it's, it was a credit to the Dodgers on being able to put the bat on the ball and, you know, and, and get, get those hits in. And then uh, Bellinger got the big hit um, that probably, you know, say it really saved the Dodgers season. Cause if they lost today, the, see, the series was over if they had lost today, really. I mean, the way that that team was looking and, and right now, you know, you still like where the Braves sit up two games to one, but the Dodgers have some momentum. And I think the blueprint is, for the Braves, you got to win one of the next two now. And, you know, kind of, I think the best, I think the Braves really need to not get in that elimination gaming, you know, in the first game back in Atlanta. I think with the Braves bullpen depth, they really need to be leading in the series when they go back to Atlanta. So if the Braves win game, game four, um, you know, or game five, I think you kind of like where you sit still. If you don't, if the Dodgers come back tomorrow, or the day after and win again, both games, you know, you still do go back to Atlanta, but you know, it's, that's going to be a struggle uh, for the Braves at that point because of the pitching matchups and the lack of ability to um, the lack of ability to go deep into your bullpen. Cause that's really where I feel like the Dodgers have an advantage. Cause today it shows a perfect example. You know, if the Braves got down five to two in like the sixth inning, they would probably be basically tossing the game away by pitching a, an arm. That's not, just not good. Dodgers don't have any arms that are just complete toss away arms. Like when they go into their bullpen, you know, they bring out somebody who's got a lot of talent, throws hard, you know, and I mean, the Braves, you know, you, you, you look at the Dodgers, they're bringing in a a guy like, you know, Joe Kelly in the seventh inning of a three run game. And I mean, that's the situation where the Braves are probably pitching Drew Smiley who barely made the roster or Chris Martin or something like that. So um, very difficult, you know, for, for the Braves to win this series, if they get into those, you know, winner, you know, winner go home games um, with their pitching depth, but um, especially if it's the Ian Anderson start, it's up in that situation. Yeah. You just never know what you're going to get from him. Yeah. And so just to wrap up what, what happened the rest of game three, um, Chris Taylor ended up singling yeah. uh, right after the, the Homer. And then um, I think he stole second. And then they had Matt Beatty pinch hitting, and he grounded, grounded out to second. Yeah. Um, and then Mookie doubled to to right field um, to to give them the lead. And then they brought Jansen in, who Jansen has been ever since he got booed off the mound has been insane. I saw a stat; I think that he's faced seventeen hitters in the postseason so yeah, far. He, he struck, struck out, out twelve, like 12 or something. Yeah, yeah. It's so. just it's it kind of looks like vintage Kenley Jansen again. I mean, he looks so confident in all of his pitches. You know, it used to be just that cutter. But now he's added that like sinker slash two seam and the slider, which is it just allows them to not sit on the cutter all the time. But he still throws the cutter most of the time. Yeah, um, it's just it's just enough to keep people honest and keep them off of that pitch as much. Yeah, well, you can tell too when when a team faces him because his slider he his sliders he threw tonight were not very good. I mean, he threw one to Jock Peterson that was just right down the middle. But they're so not used to seeing it from him yeah. that I mean they're taking it because they're just surprised it's it, when it comes so um it's definitely you know and that's one of those things that when you have a one pitch pitcher like that i mean his cutter can get him so you know can can be fantastic but you know get him off the cutter and you're gonna be even better so that's something that's really helped him out and i think sometimes relievers fall in love with one pitch um and you just gotta you gotta figure out a, a second pitch to throw so but um you know i think the, the the series there's been so many momentum shifts and swings i mean you had the dodgers coming in feeling really good about themselves after winning game five they're the 106 win team the defending champions you know the, and the braves are able to take game one and walk off fashion then you know the dodgers lead two to you know four to two and or they did lead two to nothing and then they led four to two in game two and the braves were able to come back and take it and the braves had all the momentum in the series, they come out, they co- go up five to two, and then the Dodgers have their comeback win and, and and flip the momentum. So, you know, right now it feels like the Braves, it, it's it's a time where you can really just kind of sit back and, t- you know, take a step back and say, okay, you know, we're still up two to one. You've got a, you know, we, we, you got a, you got a bullpen game tomorrow, really for both teams since, since Urias pitched in game one, game two, I think, he probably isn't going to be overextended too much, but uh, game five is a definite bullpen game for the Dodgers. Whereas it sounds like Max Fried will be going on regular rest for the Braves in game five. So, you know, you feel like you got an advantage there. You don't know what you're going to get from Scherzer because of his fatigue. He might end up coming back and being fully ready to go for, for game six or game seven, whichever one. 
um, or he might end up, you know, not feeling great. Bueller will be potentially there in a potential game seven. Um, I definitely think this series is going at least six. I, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see it go seven. And I think, I think that's probably, it's probably pretty likely it goes seven, honestly, again. So, um, but uh, it's definitely been a great, good series so far. Very entertaining. Um, you know, obviously as a, you know, Braves or Dodgers fans, we are very, uh, you know, very up and down about it. <laughs> we have a lot of emotions in it, but uh, I think for people who are watching around the game, it's been a very entertaining series so far. Um, so it's, it's definitely what baseball needs. And of course, um, you know, obviously the, the Houston Boston series hasn't been quite as entertaining just because a few of the games were runaways, but, uh, you, you know, that series, it, you know, if Houston's able to pull out, out tonight, it could end up being a great, great finish to their, to the series. So, uh, definitely some exciting games going on right now. Yeah, it really has been. And you mentioned it right, right there, but this series has kind of been everything that the ALCS doesn't have. You know, close games, nail-biting games, that postseason baseball feel where that's kind of been zapped out of that ALCS outside of game one, really. Um, and for a long part of that game, it didn't even really feel like it was a, a close game either. Um, so, like you said, this series, I, I could see it going six uh, or seven. It's just going to basically depend on whose bullpen, like you you mentioned, whose bullpen steps up more because the Dodgers have announced Urias is going tomorrow in game four while the Braves are going to a bullpen game where, so if you look at the Dodgers, like they have to, they have to win that game tomorrow and, you know, has to look at it in their eyes because then you're going to have freed in game five while you're pitching a bullpen game, kind of like how game one was. Um, and the Braves are going to look like, Hey, we have to, we have to win that one. Cause even given Scherzer and what Bueller's struggles were the past two games, you still don't feel great going into those two games. If you have to win both of them, you know, so it, it's this this tomorrow's game is going to be a very pivotal for this series to see which way it's really going to go, um, because it could it could change the whole landslide of it. It could make it a, you know, one where the Braves feel really confident, or where the Dodgers kind of feel themselves are are back in the driver's seat like they usually think they are. Yeah, so t- tomorrow's game is extremely important. Um, and um, but I mean, you, you know, the the thing about this series is to if you were you know watching the games the Dodgers had opportunities in games one and two and yeah. you know, you feel like for the Braves that you built up in one and two, that lead that's going to keep you in this series that you're a big underdog in. And, you know, you get, you get down late in this series games, five, six, seven, and you know, anything can happen at that point. Whereas the series, honestly, this series, the way it's played out very easily could be basically over in the Dodgers favor right now. So, um, you know, for the Braves, the ability to have those two comeback wins, games one and two, I guess game one wasn't really a comeback win, but um, that was very important um, to to be able to, to take those. And then obviously today's game was super important for the Dodgers because, you know, well, you got to win. If, you, if you're down 2-0 and Walker Bueller's pitching, you absolutely have to win that game to stay alive. And they did. And it wasn't the way that they were expecting to win it with with Walker Bueller pitching a great game and, uh, you know, the ability to get a few runs late off of Charlie Morton or somebody. Uh, it was it was kind of the opposite way. They got Walker Bueller didn't pitch very well, but the Dodgers were able to make it up against the bullpen that had been really good in the postseason so far. So um, this series has been crazy. A lot of unexpected stuff happening. Uh, some good games. Uh, a lot of storylines. Uh, you know, you look at the ALCS, and it hadn't been quite as entertaining because of the two blowout games. I'm sure Red Sox fans don't agree with that. I think they're pretty entertained by watching their team hit grand slams every other inning. But, um, but you know, game one was entertaining, and, and this game right now is go is going. It's pretty good right now too. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, both of these series have the potential to end up being instant classics, in my opinion. Uh, and we're, um, you know, we're just, just moving right along. We're, uh, you know, we're just, uh, I think the series both end on, you know, before Sunday or before Monday. So the World Series starts Tuesday. So, yeah, um, the World Series starts a week from today. Yep. So we'll have uh, we'll have answers here soon. Yeah, so maybe we'll record on Monday next week. Yeah, that's I think um, that's going to be the plan. So before, so we can get that in before the World Series starts, because that's going to be insane. Um, 
but like you said, both series can be instant classics. I mean, they've both had their own different storylines. Um, you know, with the the battle for the pitching, who's gonna who's gonna be able to pitch actually in that Houston Boston series versus the uh, the Atlanta and Dodgers one? It's which offense is gonna kind of come through. Um, you know, it, it's been crazy for both ones. You know, I think the worst part about it is that, at least for the NLCS, you know, this series would be ten times funner if it had Ronald Acuna and Max Muncie in it. Like I think we're very we're missing that a lot. That Acuna's energy isn't here. Muncie, who's been arguably one of the Dodgers' best players this year, isn't in there. Um, you know, they both don't know. I mean, we know Acuna with his torn ACL won't be able to play. Muncie most likely won't be able to play if either of these teams move on. Um, but I could just imagine what the series would be like if they had if they had those. Two. Yeah, I mean, and not just those two, but you also have Kershaw. You have Jorge Soler, who was fantastic for the Braves down the stretch. I mean, it's it's more than just the the two of those. But I mean, obviously, this would be totally different with Ronald Acuna Jr., who was on pace to win MVP mm-hmm. in a runaway, really. And then uh, and then um, you know Max Muncy, who was fantastic all year and know just adds another dynamic and also the fact that justin turner is banged up too uh he's had a little bit of a neck issue and he has not looked good at all in this series so far yeah neither has trey turner um so here's yeah, which is shocking here's... because trey turner trey turner has hit the braves uh better than anybody ever <laughs> like when he was with the nationals it was every time it was like three for four two for three with a walk so four for five like and and it's not just in the the nlcs this is through the nlds as well so there's a stat i saw earlier since the start of the nlds trey turner and justin turner are combined seven for 60 that is yeah. a 116 batting average yeah that's so. very uh very disappointing for a guy who you know is so coveted and won the batting title this year so yeah, it is but, uh, you know, like we said, some fantastic series here. We have game four going on of the um, ALCS right now. We'll have game four of the NLCS tomorrow uh, and game five tomorrow. So we could technically see a uh, if Boston wins today and tomorrow, they could wrap it up right yep. away. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like you said, the if a potential game seven would be on Sunday, um against the Dodgers and the Braves. So we will, uh, we'll plan on recording on Monday to, uh, to get you the guys, the preview of the world series and let you know what's kind of happened throughout this. But, uh, you got anything else you want to, you want to wrap this episode up on? Yeah. I, I just a couple of little notes, um, from around baseball that we haven't mentioned yet, but they're, and they're, and they're not the, you know, the biggest notes, but you know, there are something to look at. Um, the Chicago Cubs have hired a GM this week. They hired uh, Carter Hawkins, who was a part of the Indians front office, mm-hmm. um, you know, in their run that they've had recently. Um, now, Jed Hoyer is the president of baseball operations, so he's going to control most of the day to day stuff of, you know, the or the big the big decisions like like, you know, you know, trades, free agent signings, that kind of stuff. But uh, Carter Hawkins is obviously going to be a pretty have a big role in that front office. So that's just one thing to look at. Uh, and also the Mets have had um, some home run candidates. They've kind of taken a swing and miss at um, they they interviewed or they, they tried to get Billy Bean um, to come in and interview and he didn't. Uh, or he, at least he didn't take the job. I don't know if he talked to him at all, but uh, then uh, I think they kind of tried to reach out to Theo Epstein and he was not interested. So uh, obviously if you're the Mets, that's, that's very smart. Swing for the fences, try to get the best guy out there. But you know, uh, and if there's no reason, if all they can do is say no. So um, we'll see what ends up happening in that search for GM after their uh, little issue that they had this year with their former GM and his, um, his, um, text messages i think it was yeah so yeah so uh definitely uh you know definitely a tough um you know uh, definitely a, a tough job there with the mets that um everything's been really scrutinized lately but um you know something to look for in uh new york coming forward so yeah also one thing we didn't mention it happened after last episode and before this one is that the cardinals fired their manager mike schilt um, by the way, as well. So he had yes. been the guy who had led them to the playoffs. I think every year he's been their manager. Um, he's taken, I think even from the year he took over for Mike Matheny, he led them to the playoffs, uh, I believe every se- single season since. Yeah. Um, but they've cited philosophy differences and philo- uh, the whole philosophical, bunch of, whatever <laughs> they, uh, they, uh, <laughs> 
pretty much it was just out of the blue. I mean, nobody knew it was happening. Even Mike Schilt didn't. I mean, up until I think a week before the season ended, they were talking about a, an extension um, between the Cardinals and Mike Schilt. And then they just let him go. So that was, it was kind of weird there, but he's already um, interviewing for the San Diego Padres position um, as manager. So that's going to be pretty interesting as well. Yeah. So that, that was, that was a really weird one, especially after the way that that team, which really wasn't all that talented of a team, uh, figured it out in the second half and turned into a playoff team. So, uh, and, and then the last note just to bring up real quick is Aaron Boone did sign a three-year extension with the, with the Yankees. So he's back as their manager for the next three years or potentially for the next three years, um, on a new contract. So, uh, that's one other note that that happened today, but that's not really that big of a deal. Some people were kind of thinking that they might go in a different direction, but, um, Obviously, I think the Yankees are pretty happy with the way that Aaron Boone is managed, even though, you know, they haven't had they haven't been able to finish off the postseason, uh, you know, in the last few years. But they have been there and won a lot of baseball games. And, uh, you know, it's just been winner take couple winner take all games that go their way. So, um, you know, going forward, they're going to have Aaron Boone as their manager to continue. Yeah, that was pretty uh... You know, just citing off that real quick. It was interesting. Did you hear what Cashman, Brian Cashman, said about that? He said that he had put had input, but it was Steinbrenner's call or no, something. Pretty much what Cashman came out and said is that pretty much like it's his fault that Boone was even considering getting fired because yeah. he messed up on building this team and that he plans on pretty much doing a massive overhaul on the roster this offseason. Yeah, Which, that makes that makes sense because the, the Yankees have way too much uh, swing and miss. Like they don't have any yeah. contact guys except LeMayhew. So it's it's just interesting. It, it provides an interesting look into this offseason because if a yeah. team like the Yankees are willing to completely overhaul their roster, that can make the offseason very, very interesting because yeah. they can they can play on anybody they want. You know, we have a big shortstop market this year. They can play on any of those if they want to. They have very good prospects. They can play on any trade that they want to, you know, you know, they have a guy who like Joey Gallo, who they just traded for, who, you know, will be in demand that they could even make a trade with. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to say the least for the Yankees this off season, but we'll, uh, we'll talk more about that during the actual off season, but just a, a little note on that. Yep. So, so that's pr- pretty much all you got. Yeah, I think so. Uh, just, uh, We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm planning on potentially going to one of the World Series games if the Atlanta Braves make it, uh, mm. if I can afford the tickets. <laughs> I don't know how much they're going to end up being, but I've, I'm considering going to one of the games. That would be a lot of fun. But, you know, I, I really don't expect them to pull off the series, you know, with the way that the Dodgers are with their depth of that lineup and stuff. But we'll see. So um, we'll um, that would be a, a pretty pretty good time. But, uh, but we'll see what happens. I think um, – you know, the, the rest of these series are going to be great, and I'm excited for that and excited for the World Series next week starting, and, uh, you know, it's going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. It will be, and uh, I will not be going to a World Series game if it gets to Los Angeles because I can definitely not afford what that ticket would be like. <laughs> but uh, but uh, anyways, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we'll uh, catch you guys next Monday. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.